0: Yeah, 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 yeah. Welcome back to another episode of the Wazzy Circus Radio, the show where I sit down with the most amazing people that I've met on the planet Earth, period. Yo, our toast to life today is Basil Hayden. It's a Kentucky straight bourbon whiskey. It's pretty good. To know bourbon is Booker did. I guess Booker made it. It's to love it. And to love it is to share it with Basil Hayden. I'm not doing this. I'm not doing that for you guys. It's pretty good, though. Uh, My guest today... Is the United States Naval ah let me do this again is a United States Navy Surface War Officer and Federal Executive Fellow at the Clement Center for National Security at the University of Texas at Austin, which means he's probably gonna get in trouble for hanging out with me. <laughs> I mean, I've done far worse. <laughs> I'm sure. Commander Michael Knickerbocker. What's up, was? What up, Mike? Hey dude, so much fun. I don't know where to start. But you can't say, you almost got your head chopped off by a helicopter blade and, and expect me to like, just I can't move on. You can't just say stuff like that. How did you, what helicopter, which one was it?
1: Uh, I couldn't tell you which one. It was a SH-60 Bravo, which is a class that we really don't use in Navy anymore. Okay. Uh, we were doing a vertical replenishment while alongside Neuler. So we were in the Western Pacific
0: Vertical replenishment, you were refueling. I'll explain it all. Thank you, sir.
1: So we were alongside an oiler. uh, You know, it's about 35 miles an hour hooking up to an oil tanker. So we had uh, two stations hooked up. Um, I was a flight deck safety officer, so I was back on the flight deck of a destroyer, the USS Decatur at the time. And uh, we were taking uh, mail, personnel, and parts on the back. Uh, It was a nice calm day, about two foot seas, nothing big, but there was a rogue wave. And it came in, it was probably about 14 feet at its crest, maybe 16 feet, and uh, crushed our flight deck nets on the starboard side, that's the right side for you land lovers, (laughs) and uh, popped them like pop cans, came about uh, just below knee height, uh, knocked me and my flight deck crew off, and we had just removed the chocks and chains off of the helicopter, so it was just sitting not on anything so the helicopter actually got physically pushed and when they're just sitting there spinning uh the blades droop right so you're supposed to stay out of the rotor arc because we were knocked down sliding around i had two guys go off the other side get caught by the nets i started sliding the helicopter took up the throttle uh on the collective blades whoosh up and then i got spun around and pushed to the front of the flight deck they cleared off of the deck and then uh, we reset and assess the damage.
0: Holy shit! How tall is the destroyer from the the surface? Uh, 14 and a half feet on the flight deck. So that wave was fourteen, fifteen. Yeah, fourteen to sixteen feet. Holy shit! A rogue wave. Is there no warnings for that?
1: It just. Hit. No, not really. I mean, it was a relatively calm day, so sometimes you just don't see them coming, and there's not much you can do when you're hooked up to another ship.
0: Man, as a land lover. I've seen the nets when we walked down to Lexington. Like that, I thought that was for like people committing suicide. I didn't think it was for people like getting washed over.
1: So yeah, it, uh, So I had a friend who was a shooter, uh-huh. the yellow-jacketed guys that you see in the upcoming movie Top Gun. Yeah, yeah. And uh, he actually uh, was in an area they had a backfire on a motor on an engine, and he got blown off of the flight deck and was caught by the nets.
0: That's fucking. I think intense. that
1: was on Truman.
0: Tense. So people get blasted off the, the decks Yeah, that's lot. why we
1: have nets to catch people. But I mean, I wouldn't say a
0: lot. I mean, it happens. Enough to net the whole boat.
1: Well, yeah. Remember, though, there's always something in there because somebody died. Like, remember, that's <laughs> like the Navy and aviation is, even if it happens once, we just don't want it to happen again. Holy. Or to mitigate the
0: risk. Holy shit. Holy shit, and the helicopter was able to pull away. Yeah. So was that in the, your beginning of your Navy career?
1: Yeah, that was uh, 2008. Yeah, 2008.
0: Oh, yeah, you're 17 years in. I am. That's cool, man. Have you loved every second of it? No, I've
1: hated most of it. <laughs> I mean, to be fair. <laughs> but if you're not a bitching sailor, you're not a happy sailor.
0: Oh, right. Oh, man. I don't like being on boats like that, dude.
1: You know, it, it's interesting because I... Never really thought I was. I never intended to go into the Navy. I thought I was going to go in the Army like my father. Uh And then I went into ROTC uh, as a naval guy, went on a submarine for five weeks, hated it. So I tried to go into the Marine Corps, but then that didn't wind up working out. And then I've been trying to find for 17 years how to not be on ships. But now I've done five of them, six deployments, and 17 years. So obviously
0: I'm not good at quitting. You fucking ran from the submarine. And it got sucked back. The Marines were like, nah, so you went back to the Navy? Obviously. Yeah. You did submarine in ROTC?
1: Yep. Uh, You do training cruises in the summer. So between my sophomore and junior year, I rode on the USS Springfield out of Groton, Connecticut. Rode her over to Rota, Spain. It's about five weeks underway, playing around under the Atlantic.
0: No fucking way. As a kid in high school. No,
1: I was in college. Not oh, JROTC.
0: Okay, that's when I was like, holy no God, that's dope. No, JROTC's <laughs> silly. That's Is pretend really? military. Oh, come on. Doesn't it give the guys a leg up? No. It's just for fun? It's just for nothing? They look like dorks for no fucking reason? I mean, I reason. couldn't
1: tell you the difference between a JROTC and non-JROTC, because you basically have to oh. teach them to forget everything they've ever taught.
0: But So our kids are not going to JROTC. I mean, they can. Well, um, I have a kid that wants to go to USAFA his junior year, the uh, Air Force Academy.
1: I was able to see the Air Force Academy out of my bedroom window when I was in third grade. Really? That's yeah. where you grew up, huh? I lived at, well, I wouldn't say I grew up there, but right. uh, between third and fourth grade, I lived in Colorado Springs at Fort Carson, and I could see the Air Force Academy. It's actually where I wanted to go. I wanted to be you a wanted pilot. You military,
0: period. What happened? Oh, I have right. bad well, eyes. Do you really? Yeah, you sneeze when you look at the sun. He sneezes if he sees the sun. Have you ever heard of that? It's called photovoltaic sneezing. Photosynthic sneezing. Voltaic would mean that I retain a charge.
1: I'm not Scott Summers here.
0: (laughs) All right, photo, what is it? (laughs) Photosynthic sneezing. Holy shit, that's real. Did you know that? Yeah, Yeah. Google it. If the light hits his eyes, he sneezes.
1: And it's like seven times in a row, like I'm some sort of cat.
0: (laughs) That's what I call him. I said, you're like a cat, dude. Uh, That's fucking cool. You're like one of the smartest guys I've ever met, so I would trade. You must not know a lot of people, (laughs) I don't. I really don't. It's a small circle.
1: I mean, I'm smart. You just have to follow (laughs) it up with
0: an A and a double S. (laughs) Uh, Very good. (laughs) Hey, uh, the third camera. Can we get that the top? No? Okay. Right on. So, uh, we started talking... Hold on, hold on, let's, let's go back. So you went to the Air Force and they told you your eyes were bad? Were oh, no, I just, thing?
1: I mean, as soon as I got glasses when I was eight, I cried. Because oh. I knew I could never be a pilot. Because things like PRK and LASIK weren't there. even in existence back then. Have you done it since? I've had LASIK, yes.
0: And is it everything?
1: I mean, I, I, my eyes were good for eight years, but about two years ago, I had to start wearing glasses again. again? Really? I mean, without them, I'm still 2025 20, I don't know what that
0: means. So it's like $100. 2020 season.
1: Vision's really, really good. 2025 uh-huh. is not too bad,
0: but... Okay. I wear my glasses. Wait on. Because I need them to read and drive. I had a buddy that was going to be a pilot, and since he's colorblind, he fell out, and they just won't... It's just, that's just You it. can't
1: do a lot of jobs in the military if you're colorblind. Why? Because colors matter when you're trying to push buttons. Yeah, I guess so,
0: huh? Ain't that a bitch? I
1: had a guy who wanted to be uh in... Explosive ordnance disposal, and it's not good to be colorblind if you're trying to cut the red wire.
0: Oh, yeah, I guess not. Oh, that's fucked up if you think about it. I haven't thought about all this. I guess the military's thought of everything.
1: Well, even, like, as a surface warfare officer, because you have red and green lights, you know, port and starboard running lights on right. ships. Yeah, exactly. You know what side you're looking at? So exactly. You can't be colorblind.
0: Is it just... I thought it was just red. Is red and green you can't differentiate between red and green? If you're I mean, colorblind? some people. Depends. Right. There's a lot of
1: different colorblindness. I'm not afflicted by colorblindness, so... Right. I'm
0: not going to speak those who are. So, 17 years is a lot of time, so you've had a lot of posts. How many deployments have you had? Six or seven. Really? Have you ever been in active cannon firing on a boat, like active warfare? No. Missile launchings?
1: No. The U.S. has not been in a major naval conflict. I mean... Okay.
0: Well, we don't know.
1: I mean, we've launched a couple... Like, I've had friends on ships that have launched... uh, you know, Tomahawk missiles in the different countries. So, so, yeah, right. actually into Syria. Yeah. And then there was the USS Mason that got shot at um, in the Red Sea from the Houthi rebels, uh-huh. and they actually engaged and defeated those missiles.
0: Oh, they they defeated the missiles? The yeah, tomahawks? they
1: shot missiles that blew up the other missiles. They're all walking around with all the chest candy to show that they're real warriors. Okay, well, we defeated their missiles. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, they shot some missiles at our ship. USS hmm. Mason blew them
0: up. And did we retaliate? No. No. Why?
1: I think we did wind up hitting some sort of site. But, well, when you have dispersed rebel groups, I mean, what are you actually going to attribute to? Right. Also, is an $800,000 warhead worth peppering them when they're shooting a bunch of 70s-era Soviet stuff that
0: we can smack down pretty easily? still Oh, okay, the Houthi rebels. So there's still Soviet-era shit just floating around the Middle East? Yeah, all over the, all over the world.
1: Really, I mean, remember the Soviet Union was one of the largest weapons exporters, and then even after the collapse, basically all that excess surplus was just pushed off by the Russian Federation to restart their economy, and you know, mm-hmm. pad the pockets of
0: oligarchs. So that's why the AKs or the Klishchikovs are so prevalent, is because yeah. that push after the war. That makes sense. Remember, yeah. nobody sells more guns than the U.S. except the USSR. Really? I didn't think they made more guns than us, but I have I've had a Kalashnikov, so that's like yeah. That's crazy. I had a a
1: Wazer 10, which is the Romanian version, but
0: Well, right yeah, I was dude, we were kids in Arizona and there were a lot of guns in Arizona. There still are.
1: Yeah. yeah. I'm from the upper peninsula Michigan. Is there a lot of guns there? Oh, there's a
0: lot of guns. In Michigan. Yeah, I guess the whole country, huh? Well, no, I mean, it is the like United States. Well, We're New pretty gun-happy. New York, you can't have guns. There's other places you can't have guns. They, like, well, they, they won't let like people.
1: I mean, there's citizens. limitations. There's actually, if you ever like traveling and you have firearms, you need to look up this book on Amazon called The Firearm Laws of the 50 States. It's written by a lawyer. He updates it every year, and it's amazing. Awesome. Because there's a few states that are what are called no-pass-through states. Mm-hmm. Basically, you can't dr- even drive across the state. A lot of states don't matter if it's locked up separate from the ammo. You can transit through. Right. And then there's only two states in the union that don't allow any form of uh, concealed carry. So, Which states are those, do you know? You Hawaii know? and Illinois. Uh, that's because Chicago. So that's because Chicago so, ruined everything. Yeah. But the state of Pennsylvania has it right. Okay. Because they have firearm laws for Pennsylvania and then firearm laws for Philadelphia. And they're separate.
0: Oh, it should have been like that for Chicago. Yeah, and it should be like that Think in Michigan, too. People of Illinois, two hours south of the city, they don't get... Oh, hit.
1: there's some real rednecks in southern Illinois <laughs> on the banks of Mississippi.
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. I, I, they got their guns. You should just leave them alone.
1: I know. I'm from way up north when I tell people I'm a redneck. They're like, ah, oh, there's no rednecks up north. And I was like, hey, man, we're the Alabama of Canada.
0: Where? Where?
1: The Upper Peninsula of Michigan.
0: Miss. Mich- okay. North of the Mitten. No, I, Oh, okay. The other, okay, now I'm putting the the fox looking thing. It looks like a fox to me. It's like a fox shoal. It always has to me. It's weird. It looks like a fox shoal. Okay, I can see that. It looks like an old lady about to go out.
1: Yeah, and you've got Lake Superior, which looks like a wolf head. I can buy it.
0: There we go. That's cool. Isn't that where the clan was started? No. Yes, it was. was Oh, it was in the Mitten in Michigan. I don't know. I am not an expert in the Ku Klux <laughs> clan at all. Or you would. Well, what, tell us your Cobra? I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, right. Let's get the so hate that's, mail. Yeah, let's fast forward. Let's fast forward. Um, you're trying to update the military in a fucking amazing way. Um, it's, um, you know, the electrification of the military. They've said it's wokeism in the military. There's all kinds of things we can cover. And I want to get there, and I'd hate to fast forward. But your focus on a lot of your articles was on just resupply and technical stuff. Why not the actual attack and getting troops out of harm's way? Or are you writing these articles like that because, you know, it's easier to sell that before you go with the the attacking and the fighting? Well,
1: so there's a lot of people that focus on lethality, you know, the ability to to put warheads on foreheads uh, to generalize it. And so as I— foreheads of robots? No, warheads on foreheads. Shooting oh. missiles at people. Oh, okay.
0: <laughs> hey, man, I'm new to this, okay. Uh, I'll get you educated Four by the end of this. Foreheads, that's fucked up. Yeah, you can keep that one. Okay. Oh,
1: trust me, that's not the most fucked up thing we say on a ship.
0: Oh, I'm sure. I mean. Gosh, I mean, because look, with all, without all the death and dying and killing, this is like the cutting edge of technology. And this breeds... Civilian, I mean, it's what we get. It's where we get all our technology is from the the military. Back in the day, yes. So,
1: you know, one of the things I've been trying to focus on is it used to be like defense research because it was so hard for people to get their hands on technology, strong enough computers and all the, you know, the funding to do major research. Well, now there's more technological and scientific breakthroughs from the civilian sector than there is from a defense funded side mm. and it used to be if you had a great leap in technology you were like a decade ahead of other forces like when you look at the first gulf war in iraq the reason we dominated was because we had night vision optics on abram's tanks okay well that is now standard kit around the world oh, okay. and now when you see technological breakthrough i mean you think like how quickly is your new cell phone or new computer obsolete
0: nowadays? Right, right.
1: I mean, a technological advantage may be last days, weeks, months at tops. It's not a
0: years-long advantage like it used to be. When did that happen? Because you saw it happen from when it was the the defense contractors created. I, I mean, to, I I, mean those... I'd say,
1: you know, as we got into stronger computing in the, in the mid to late 2000s, you know, as we started seeing iPhones, the emergence of smartphones and everything and microprocessors and all that, I mean, platform. I'm not— I'm not an engineer and I'm not that smart. I'm an idea man. I just had to find smart people to go make it happen. Right, right. Uh, but, you know, as I was looking at all these things is we're focusing on lethality. We're focusing on trying to find that technological silver bullet to win the wars of the future. And the reality is, as we saw in Afghanistan and as you're seeing uh, right now over in Eastern Europe, is – Military and technological superiority is worth a lot, but at the end of the day, war is dirty, war is gritty, and war never goes the way you want it to. And, you know, so Americans have been spoiled by thinking that wars end in weeks or months because that's what we were used to from the post-Vietnam era all the way through was things happened quickly. So now we get into Afghanistan Iraq— You're talking decades of infighting. I mean, just to take Mosul back from uh, Islamic State, it was a nine-month siege. Most Americans don't realize that Mosul took that long to retake from a bunch of ragtag goat fuckers. So you think about, like, everything else we're doing. So at the end of the day, what I— Why did it take so long? Because war is dirty. War is gritty. I mean, just try to get your kids to get their shoes on the morning. No matter—even though you know it's going to happen— still takes you longer and you're late to wherever you're going I mean it's just human I mean when someone's got a reason to fight they're gonna fight and they're gonna make it hard right Right. and you know so what stretches people out and so what I've been looking at is logistics and then I think you know when we talk about innovation is not so much about innovation in terms of brand new stuff but innovation in terms of taking a proven technology and applying it somewhere to create some self-reliance and improve resiliency, and that's kind of what I looked at in my articles with using electric vehicles. Because also, I'm not saying we need a Abrams tank to be electrified because it's going to need an 8,000 pound battery mm. to replace 410 pounds of diesel fuel. Never get it right now. Technology isn't going to make that feasible. Mm, but if you take all the backline stuff, so you know your transport trucks are moving fuel around tractors that are towing aircraft and you start electrifying all that you then free up the fuel reserves that are in a ford base or that are on board a ship to be used for tanks airplanes and the other things that can't be uh electrified or right now aren't even available in some sort of series hybrid motor
0: that's what frees up resources
1: yes because if you look at the overall like dependency upon fuel like you know when the hummer got released to the public back in the 90s it was like hey they get eight miles a gallon like they're not fuel efficient and most of our vehicles aren't fuel efficient so once you get into peer level conflict so let's say we do wind up in a war with china it's going to be a long war how likely is that i mean i hope it's not likely at all right i've got a lot of opinions on that, but I'm not going to get into it. It It'll get us way off off course. That's fine. But it's not in their interest or our interest for a full-blown war. But what we are starting to see is warfare is not what we thought it used to be. Uh, And so you can look at what's called gray zone tactics or hybrid warfare, and that's where you're seeing a lot of the Antagonism of you know cyber attacks exactly. or just or having merchant vessels that go out and harass. Uh, so if you look up the uh, Chinese Maritime Militia, it's basically a bunch of fishing boats that just drive around and uh, irritate the fuck out of everybody that's operating, whether they're uh, other navies or they're other uh, just civilian mariners doing either fishing or transport. They're just getting in the way. Yeah, they're just out there causing
0: trouble. So. I mean, I, I I hate to get off topic, but what if they took Taiwan? What if they made a move on Taiwan? Would that bullets us in, or would we just watch them like we're watching the Ukraine. Eastern European theater? Well,
1: they're very different circumstances, even though they may seem similar. It does um, seem similar. Now, we, just like the Ukraine, we don't have a straight-up treaty with taiwan to go protect them but i do feel that if china were to make that move i think that the u.s might get involved because the other thing is is we know that there's some other willing participants like japan has said they would come to the defense of taiwan but also you know what are the things that make taiwan valuable taiwan is the single largest producer of semiconductors in the world and so the technology coming out of there, which we are highly reliant upon in the United States and, you know,
0: globally. globally yeah.
1: You know, look at the chip shortage with auto manufacturing, is Taiwan's a big piece of that. So if China were to take Taiwan, they then are going to take away what wow. is a national security interest item in supply chain for semiconductor.
0: So and the knowledge of, of, of the manufacturing, maybe they can I mean they take over proprietorship.
1: Yes. So I mean there's a lot of reasons to have not just the United States but other countries that are a little more apprehensive of that. We'll see how it plays out. I mean, China, you could say, is belligerent, but they're not stupid. Like I think Xi Jinping, uh, for whatever criticisms we can have of him, he's got a game plan. But, you know, well, what uh is sometimes a game plan?
0: he's he's beefing up. He knows. He's building aircraft carrier. Is the aircraft carrier superior to, to our our class of carriers we have now? No. Because they have that new one. It's a like mega ship, is Yeah, it?
1: Shandong. Yeah. Uh, so they've got one built. The second's in the water. They have a third that's under construction. And then we have, what, 12? 12.
0: And they've got, what, five total? Three. Oh, just those three total. They didn't I mean, they're, the they're
1: planning team. on expanding, like, over the next five to ten years. And they're building them at a rate that's faster than what we're building, but our carriers are actually a lot bigger. Uh, Theirs are also not nuclear. Okay. So they have some range limitations and a reliance on uh, logistic support ships for gas that our carriers don't necessarily have. Um, But they're trying to become a Blue Water Navy. And I mean, if you wanna be a Blue Water Navy and you wanna project power globally, you do it with an aircraft carrier.
0: Is our entire carrier strike group nuclear, or are the other ships, destroyers, and the other things being refueled while the carrier's nuclear? Yeah,
1: they're being refueled.
0: Okay, so just-,
1: just So way the back carriers. in the 80s, we had nuclear-powered cruisers, but okay. we got rid of all the CGNs. Why? Because uh, they were too expensive to maintain. Okay. I mean, not enough bang for the
0: buck. Right, right, right. Putin has, what, three-
1: No, they only have one aircraft carrier in Russia, the Kuznetsov. That big smoke-billowing thing? I got to see it uh, in person from about 1,000 yards away uh, in late 2013, early 2014, the Eastern Mediterranean. Uh I was actually on the USS Ramage, and we were the— First ship on station after the August 2013 chemical weapons attack uh, in the suburb of Damascus in Syria. Okay, yeah. So that whole, what led to Syria losing its chemical weapons, allegedly. Uh, I was one of the, I was sitting there off the coast for 54 days just kind of watching the situation. We had missiles spun up, waiting to shoot. It was interesting.
0: That's, fuck. So that was the closest I came to war. (laughs) Holy shit, that is war. Missiles spun up. I mean, just because you didn't fire, isn't that—oh, I guess we didn't do anything, did we? No.
1: I mean, we told him that uh, we're going to try diplomacy. And, I mean, really, Russia stepped in and brokered that big deal because Russia didn't want Assad screwing up what Russia wanted. Because if the Assad regime fell and Russia lost access to Syria— then it kind of screws up Russia's plans. Because if you look at what Russia was doing in the Black Sea, they took Crimea because that's where Sevastopol was, and that's their largest naval base in the Black Sea. So then now you look on the other side of the Black Sea, you go through the Aegean into the Eastern Med, and they've got access to uh, TARDIS in Syria and Latakia. So they have naval facilities there. So they're able to project power on both sides of Turkey, Uh, Which allows them to continue to have leverage over Turkey from a geopolitical standpoint, which is why, you know, a lot of times Americans will criticize that Turkey's not tough enough on Russia.
0: But Russia's kind of got their balls
1: in the vice and and has warships on both sides of them. So, you know, they've got to they've got to play that game.
0: Are they a paper tiger? Who? Russia.
1: Well, I mean. We're finding
0: out what they are right now. Are those failures or is that just the way things? Oh, we're not allowed to talk about the Eastern European.
1: Yeah, I can be a little light. What what I would just say from the generalities is we're seeing what I would say was a lot of bad planning assumptions on the part of the Russians where they just necessarily thought things were going to go differently. And so approached it from a way that if they had really uh, red celled it, you know, kind of tried to devil's advocate what the ukrainians could do then they might have proceeded differently
0: and but and they had no idea about the intelligence backing and you know, other things that were going to happen the way they whatever yeah but know. i'm not going to touch yeah, that yeah, one right so i i just, i see how the backing actually makes it more lethal if we were to go electric for the the movers the tractors the fuel suppliers Here's a question: Is it easier to automate an electric vehicle than it is a gas-powered vehicle? Is it easier? I mean, because it's electric, can you just software it up, or can, is the same possibility with a with a gas-powered vehicle?
1: I mean, I think it's similar. I don't know. I'm not a I'm okay. not a mechanical engineer. Right. I would imagine that it would be slightly easier because there's just less calculations to do. You know, that's the big thing about like an electric drivetrain is, you know, it's direct drive and whereas you're looking having to go through clutching and everything so there's you know some more difficulties but you know we've proven that autonomous uh, systems work uh you know with ships like we have autonomous boats out there that are you know complex diesel powertrains they're actually more complicated than a car in a lot of ways no, so really. i don't think it makes a huge difference
0: oh, okay cuz uh one of your articles you were talking about how um it's a modular repair system.
1: Yeah, cuz you know, you look at like say a Tesla and you know, you have a, a a motor that's attached directly to the axle and okay, that motor goes bad, pull the motor, swap it out. You don't then have to, you know, drop the transmission and reconnect all that and, you know, all Ooh, the other things. You, you know, mean. you have to disconnect, you know, all the fluids that go to a traditional gasoline engine. So wow. that repair time is longer. And kind of what my argument for getting to electrification of certain vehicles and platforms is in doing that, I have guys spending less time doing those repairs. Those repairs are needed less frequently with electric vehicles and all that does is buy me back manpower and maintenance dollars to focus on you know combat vehicles like attack aircraft strike fighters and tanks
0: right so the question of lethality is kind of like pushed to the side because efficiency allows the lethality to go ahead as it always has it just has more backing. more And, fuel. you know,
1: any jump we make in, you know, terms of technology with lethality, someone else is going to be right there with us. So, you know, really what I see is. You're not going to get so much more advanced in system that you have that, you know, indisputable uh, technological superiority. So at the end of the day, what matters is you said it's not possible. I, I don't think it is with the rate of technology advancement as we see nowadays because we're not the leaders anymore the world
0: is the leader basically yeah and
1: I mean so what one person gets the other person gets in short order Mm -hmm. so where I'm trying to focus my research and what I'm advocating for in my different writing is for us to focus on one producing more munitions not worrying about having the most advanced munitions Because I don't need 10 of the world's most sophisticated missiles doing hypersonic and all this stuff. Because I can have the same effects if I build 100 dumb missiles and launch them all at the
0: same time. The hypersonic threat, is it over, do you think it's overblown? No. Oh,
1: fuck. I mean, whether you're talking subsonic, supersonic, or hypersonic, it's all a different problem set.
0: Well, it's just the, the supersonic ones. There's there's no stopping them. It's minutes of warning and it's over. No, we can we can shoot down supersonic missiles. Can't they change direction on a dime and just like yeah. and we can still track it within those seconds? Yeah. Okay. Well, cool. We we have the ability. <laughs> I'll chill out. It just sounds it sounds so out of control.
1: And well, you know the thing is is it's it's a whole lot easier to design something to go really really fast to hurt somebody It's much more complicated in designing and building something that is defensive in nature. And what's, you know, interesting if you compare uh, the U.S. Navy to other world navies, our primary focus for years has been on defense. Like, you know, I would say that our anti-ship missiles probably aren't as good as some other countries out there. But our defenses are a lot better. Mm. So, you know... I just have to be able to weather the storm, outlast them, and then take them down. Now, Mm. you know, all this is good in theory. We haven't really been tested.
0: sucks. That's a shitty theory. You're just going to sit there and take as many punches as you can, and then hopefully they get tired, then you kick their ass?
1: Well, I'm also shooting at them at the same (laughs) time.
0: I'm just hoping that I do
1: more damage to them. Right, right, right. Like, I'm a very poor swimmer. Uh And my wife's like, well, how is it that you're in the the Navy Navy? for so long and you can't swim? Right. And I told her, because I focus on other things. Because if I'm having to swim, I have done my other job terribly.
0: Terribly. You know, (laughs)
1: Patton always said it's, you know, not to die for your country, make the other son of a bitch die for his. Uh Well,
0: I want to make the other guy swim. (laughs) That's for your job. (laughs) That's funny. All right, man. So drone warfare. When will it be robot to robot? That's got to be coming.
1: I mean, I'm pretty sure we saw that
0: on sci-fi
1: with uh, Robot Wars years ago. No,
0: but I'm talking DARPA against fucking the Russian, like um, real shit walking around, real automated, lethal. We've got them. Yeah, I
1: mean, it, it and that's where like I deviate from a lot of people because I think that there is too much of a focus on trying to make an autonomous lethal platform, whether it's a aircraft that can fly on its own and shoot missiles or it's a smart munition. Like I personally feel that where we really need to do at least as the United States until we prove concepts is focus on building something that's really good at one thing. And for me, that's logistics, being able to resupply, ourselves in a contested environment. If we can build drones and semi-submersibles or submerged uh, stuff, so, you know, going underwater, on the water, in the air, and be able to get into an access denial plate, uh, you know, that missile bubble that China and Russia have, and be able to resupply ourselves in that contested area, then the lessons learned, the technology from there, will spiral, develop into the ability to more effectively deliver a lethal payload. Because if I can get, you know, Mm -hmm. nudie mags and cigarettes to a Marine, then I can certainly get a warhead to Vlad. Right. So that's kind of where I'm (laughs) focusing is.
0: Fucking A. You can't say that.
1: (laughs) Well, I mean, I'm not saying Vladimir Ravanovich Putin. I'm just saying Vlad. That could be anybody.
0: It could be anybody. It could be Zelensky. I got you.
1: So, you know, that's my thing is I feel that, you know, if you look at all the failed programs, like look at all the failed programs the U.S. military has had in the years. And I think that's because I don't have access to. We're shooting for the moon and we're cratering. And, you know, you look at things like the littoral combat ship, the Zumwalt class. uh, These are all things that are billions of dollars, years behind, over budget. And in a lot of cases, the programs have been cut. And just recently, uh, the Navy cut another program that wasn't going the way it wants. And I think it's because we're trying to get too fancy. We're looking for that technological silver bullet
0: instead of just building something that works. It sounds, it sounds like two things. There's a romanticizing of the technology, right? They want to go through this big and they want to go like – they want to make a clean war, right? They want to make it more strategic. But you said war is just terrible. Of well,
1: some, some people want to, you know – have a bedazzled 12-inch cock instead of just doing the dirty work. Someone's got to be the fluffer on the set.
0: <laughs> all right. See <laughs> oh, so you trying to get to crack up? <laughs> oh, that's funny. But, yo, we've had all these sci-fi movies of, like, the robots going in and scanning the eyeball looking for the criminal. Or, like, you know, where's is that out-of-this-world technology? Or is it here?
1: What, biometric identification data? Yeah, with, like,
0: DARPA robots.
1: Well, I mean... We have the technology. We just haven't embedded it in the robots or autonomous systems. But I mean, when it comes to like identification and classification, whether it's people or or, you know, platforms like if I'm on a ship right now, I'm able to detect the radiation from another ship. But I, I won't just tell you that it's, you know, a Russian frigate. I can tell you that that is the Russian frigate was. And that uh, that radar is probably this old because I'm seeing these frequencies like we're able to do fingerprinting where it's not just saying what class of ship it is. Like we know like which ship it is. And we've had that technology for a long time. That's something that's pretty common and frequent. And then you look at things like biometric data. Um, That's something that we weren't as advanced in. But in the global war on terrorism, uh, in, you know, doing a lot of things and try to identify people, we really made advances in that technology. And it's, a lot of it you're able to get kind of uploaded rapidly. And, I mean, as we see advances in uh, cloud computing and, you know, machine learning and all that stuff, we're just going to see right. all that stuff taken because it's not that you have to do it better because you wind up being better when you can do it faster. And that's really where we're getting to is a point of having the connectivity and the computing speed to be able to do these things in real time. Whereas before, you know, you're looking at hours, maybe days to get some stuff back. And there's a lot of human in the loop. Right. And you're just starting to see now where instead of a person having to go through and compare it to a database or manually upload it into a program, you're just starting to see a lot of those linkages just being completely
0: computerized. So, what does that mean for the future of the Navy? Is it just going to be a giant brain? Global police state? I don't know. Oh, no, my. Don't say that. <laughs> like, you didn't even fucking flinch.
1: All right. I mean, I read 1984. That we all have. It's fucking. We should up. write a new book,
0: 2022. No, uh, don't say that. <laughs> How safe are we as a, as a country? Like, the mainland, safe. Tyranny of distance, man. We got that.
1: I mean, we are so far removed We've from other theaters. I mean, we are. We're so that's
0: kept us so safe.
1: So, if you want to, like, you know, understand something, like, go and take a an image of the United States, and then superimpose it over the uh, Western Pacific, with you know Washington against China, and then see how far out it goes. And it's really not that far. So, like, the Western Pacific is a huge wide ocean. Right. um, Which makes it hard for us going the other way. But it's also really hard for people coming our way, which is why the United States, since its inception, has been, you know, in the position we're in. Now, where I think that we're losing is the focus as an American people. And I don't just say this as a naval officer and therefore a navalist is— We are an island nation, whether or not we understand that, because we are so far removed from everything. And there's not a lot of terrestrial routes to our land. So for people to come to us or for us really to be able to project out in the world, we have to do it through a maritime presence. And when you look at the decline of American shipbuilding in the merchant sector, and then you look at a lot of the problems we're having with shipbuilding and maintenance uh, in the Navy— It's because Americans can't see past the end of their nose or the next election cycle or, you know, past the next meme that they're going to receive. And we really need to understand that we are a maritime state and
0: that is how our country was founded for better or worse. Um, you said earlier it was a free market country, though. If the free market isn't demanding more American ships, what do you do about that without subsidizing shipbuilding? Well, it's because we've outsourced everything. So why don't we—OK, okay, so we got to recognize that. Oh, this is what you're fighting for, to bring it back. Yeah,
1: and I mean—and that's why, like, there's things like the Jones Act of 1918 that a lot of people want to argue over whether it should stay in place, whether it should go away. A lot of people— attribute- what, what is the Jones Act? So, the Jones Act. How are you doing on whiskey? Oh, I'm good. Okay. This is going to be my only one.
0: Right on. All right, Jones Act.
1: And When I was a younger sailor, I could drink to the foam. Not so much nowadays.
0: To the foam? Yeah. What does that mean?
1: Have you ever heard the, uh, the Navy hymn?
0: Dude, only hymn I know is him, him, fuck him. Anchors away. Anchors away. All right, we're going to have to
1: look up Anchor's Way. You're going to have to listen to it. That should have been your homework
0: assignment. My homework was fucking out of But yeah, one of
1: yeah. the lines is drink to the foam. And I mean, you know, drink. sailors are known for drinking.
0: Yeah, but what's what's the foam? The foam, the sea foam? Is no, like... the foam of a beer.
1: Head of a beer. Drink to, drink to the foam.
0: Oh, okay. Gotcha. All right, keep up with me here. Yeah, man. I'm drinking whiskey.
1: I mean, this is the education of waz here, ladies and gentlemen. The
0: education of waz. Do you guys really put salt in your coffee? No. That's not real? Ain't that a bitch? I mean, coffee's bitter enough on a ship. Dude, Jag. I think it was on Jag. Isn't Jag Navy? Yeah, Harman Rab. Yeah, Rab. My first name's Rab. Oh, yeah? Yeah, Rab Nawaz. So I've always loved Rab, and they put salt in their coffee in the Navy. Whatever, that's a fucking... Well, do you know why
1: it's called a cup of Joe? Fuck, why? Because... Uh, there, I forget his last name, but there was a secretary of the Navy. His first name was Joe. And he was the secretary of the Navy that removed grog rations and therefore alcohol from U.S. naval ships like background Civil War time. Mm-hmm. And so as a replacement, they put coffee on ships. So it's kind of a fuck you. That's why we oh, started calling it a cup of Joe. Joe. Wow.
0: Because
1: it replaced our rum.
0: That's fucking nuts. You know, they used to stop wars to trade coffee back in the day? Yeah. But I guess sailors need rum. Do you have rum on your ships now? No.
1: There's no alcohol in U.S. ships. We're like the only Navy. Do I'm not saying I haven't gotten drunk on ships belonging to other countries' Navy. Do navies hang out?
0: Navy's yeah. Hang out shit? Absolutely.
1: <laughs> so, like, I did a, a multinational exercise and we were uh, in Port uh, Cyprus and we were working with the Greek ship. And so after the planning conference was done, I went back with the Greek assistant operations officer. We went to his wardroom, and we got hammered on a bunch of rocky. What's rocky? Uh, it's like basically like the Greek version of Everclear.
0: Oh fuck! Yeah, yeah.
1: No. Well, when you go to like a Greek restaurant, like they always bring you like rocky. Sometimes they put some honey and stuff in it. Really? No. I know it's pure gasoline.
0: Oh my god, that's crazy! What's the What's the c- coolest country you've you've um, done stuff with? Like some guys you remember? Like those guys were fucking cool. So we did a uh,
1: a ship boarding team, and uh, we were working with Greek special forces. And those those dudes are pretty solid. Uh, I've done some work with the uh, Royal Marines. They're they're a class organization. Um, There's a lot of really good uh, Western navies, Um, but, you know, I've also, uh, I used to do a lot of liaison officer stuff, so I was uh, stationed out of Japan for a good portion of the early part of my career. I was there for a little over three years, and so I uh, rode for a week on an Indian ship, on a South Korean ship, and on a Japanese ship. And I've done some other cross-training with Cambodia, the Philippines, uh, Singapore, uh, so you know I've operated I think with about 17 different navies and wow. you know they're all they all bring a lot of differences and nuances to them uh, but I would say like watching Greek special forces work they were pretty cool and Royal Marines are always a good time.
0: Royal Marines are right on the British the British Navy. Right? Yep. That's crazy man. How many countries have you been to? Have you kept track? Oh god. Do you get to hang out at all, or is it always just... I mean, so
1: that's one of the the nice things about the Navy is you go and you make port calls, uh, especially when you're on smaller ships, you can get into a lot of things. And so, you know, you're there for two or three days because the other thing is is that's all part of being a ship is you are floating diplomacy. So, Mm. you know, you go in as an officer. A lot of times we would support things. So in 2006... My ship, the USS Gary, went into Cambodia, uh, Sahonicville. That was the first uh, State Department-supported visit of a U.S. military asset since the Khmer Rouge went into power under Pol Pot. So it was a big deal. And we were involved with the State Department. We had representatives from 30 militaries, including uh, ministers of defense from Cambodia and Laos wow. and Vietnam uh, that were on board for a flight deck reception. So, like, that was really cool, like, getting to go into Cambodia. And we were there for, I think, five days. Wow. Um, so we did that big event with the State Department, and then we did some uh, firefighting training with their Navy.
0: What's our history with Cambodia? I don't, I don't know. Right off the bat. It's pre-Vietnam or that same era?
1: Well, so we, I mean, I can't remember all the details, but do you like, know who Pol Pot is? No. and Or the Khmer Rouge?
0: I know. The, wait, I was, wait, okay.
1: Were so they, the, the, the killing the, fields. Right. In, in, outside of Ankara. So basically Were they- Were the French? Were they French No, colonies? No, 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 no. Yeah, they were back in the... I mean, everything in Southeast Asia was
0: French at one point in time, So this is them trying to get from under that thumb, and then we backed the French against them, didn't we?
1: No. So when Pol Pot came into power, he basically murdered everyone in Cambodia, Cambodians, who he thought could resist his regime, to the tune of, like, I think, two, two and a half million people. Mm. But uh, we had supported him coming into power, but then quickly... Uh, I can't remember if it was, if it was yeah. he turned his back on us or we were kind of like, well, this isn't what we signed up for. But mm. we're really bad about picking the foreign raw leaders raw. to ru- run other countries like we're horrible regime change. Like, you know, if if the United States government was on a dating show, you'd be like, why are you going for that asshole? And that's who we pick to run other countries mm. and just goes mucked.
0: <laughs> that's fucking funny, man. Who's the most powerful Navy in the world? Us. By far or just a little bit? Us. Are we going to be able to out-manufacture the Chinese? No. What are we going to but do? But we don't here? have to. Why? Why not? What if so that's another
1: article I'm working on. And I'm calling it Globalizing Defense of the Global World Order, okay. or Liberal World Order, um, is, yeah, China is going to outbuild the United States, which is why we need to get other countries, because, you know, we have that China and Russia don't have a lot of friends, friends. friends. and friends that are powerful. So by leaning on people uh, like South Korea, Japan or even the Philippines, who are all very good at building ships, we can build a bunch of small ships real fast if we need to plus up numbers. But <laughs> at the same time, they don't all need to be U.S. warships. And I right, think
0: they could be U.N. ships. What's wrong with the U.N.? What is up with the UN? The UN is uh,
1: has long outlived its usefulness in my opinion. So we just need a new UN of
0: a global order against those Well, I two? mean,
1: just the structure of the UN at this point. I mean, let let's look at Russia. Russia has a they permanent have They have a permanent seat on the Security Council. So they veto everything. So they can veto everything, including they invaded another country and can just be like, "Oh, UN, you can't do anything. We're vetoing this." So the U.N., just the way it structured itself and making permanence of certain members of the Security Council with no mechanism to remove them if they violate
0: the terms the of the U.N. mechanism needs to, be, needs to be created.
1: But, I mean, look at trying to get uh, you know, sensible legislation pushed through domestically here in the United States. Do you think I we're going to get a bunch of world already, leaders to agree to a change in the U.N. Tar-
0: charter? They're already there at the table. It's going to be harder to get them to a new table, do you think?
1: Well, everybody's got their own game, you know, and and you you can't you can't fault someone like, you know, right now, a lot of people want to shit all over India because India is still buying Russian oil and they still have some trade things in pack. But, you know, India's got people pushing up on their borders between China, Pakistan. And, you know, they're trying to, you know, modernize their country and, and their workforce like they need materials And they don't have a suitable alternative right now, so they're going to keep buying what they're buying because they need it because they don't have a way to replace it. And so they're not going to come out as strong as other countries and condemn some things, but I'm not going to fault them for that.
0: That's why they're in Austin. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. Commander, this is fucking awesome. Thank you, sir. This has been super fun. I'm here for you. Uh, you, you, you're kicking ass. We we're to grab the book. Hey, uh, where can people find you? Do you have you don't? Where do you post? Do you have an Instagram or Twitter or something that you're like active with, or you just is it just the Hill and major? Well, I
1: I don't do a bunch on Instagram. That's all personal stuff. Right. Uh, but where I uh, post my articles and everything is I'm on Twitter at mm-hmm. salty strategist. Okay. And then I'm on LinkedIn, Mike Knickerbocker. And so What'd I post all me? my stuff
0: there. <laughs> I love your name, dude. Nickavaka. I mean,
1: it's almost gotten my ass kicked out a club in Chicago before.
0: <laughs> I don't doubt it, man. Hey, uh, thank you for reassuring me on the U.S. Navy's fucking strength globally. And we I are mean, don't Navy get me Navy. wrong. We have a lot of warts,
1: and we have a lot of just dumb, smart people doing stupid things all the time. But guess what? Our dumb, smart people are way better at their job than the smart, smart people in a lot of other navies. And as much as I, as we self-criticize and, you know, you can read in the media, like, all the problems with the United States Navy. Yeah. I mean, it's real. We've got issues. But Biggest we are pol- still so much better at what we do than anyone else in the world.
0: Biggest polluter on the planet as of carbon emissions and fuel consumption. Is that right? Probably. Yeah. It's fucking crazy. That's why, that's why this was—I've heard that argument, and if we can remove that— through electrifying oh but before you go there refueling these vehicles where you're going to have like solar cell stations how do you, how how do you plan to support the power needed to back up all these vehicles just i'm sorry this So if
1: showing. we're looking at like tow tractors and some ground support equipment on an aircraft carrier well we have a nuclear power you know hot rock making steam And so we have all the electrical power we we would need. Now, when you look at like a Ford operating base, so go look at Afghanistan or go look almost anywhere else. You even look at some of our more permanent stations around the world, we generate our own electricity. We don't rely on foreign grids. So we're taking power anyway. And, you know, like any good military, you over-engineer things. So if I need... You know, let's just make up numbers and I need 100 kilowatts. Well, I'm going to have at least the 150 to 200 kilowatt capacity Mm -hmm. because I want to have, you know, one and a half to two times my actual need. So if you look at a forward operating base and even just having support vehicles that are electric, there's going to be available power uh, from the, you know, support equipment that we have installed in the
0: base anyway. And that is fuel, fuel power generators. Yeah. What, what, is, what role can solar play, or is it too weak at the point? I mean, it could.
1: I just, you know, the thing is, is moving that extra material and everything, I don't think you gain an advantage. Because, again, the reason I said, you know, I used the title that it's a necessary awakening for electric technology in the military, not wokeness, is because, honestly, I'm not out there to be an environmentalist. I'm trying to more efficiently use the resources that I already have in place so that I can be more effective at doing the gritty stuff and defeating my enemy. I'm not out there to reduce carbon emissions and reduce fuel consumption. I'm out there to realize that those things are in limited supply. So how can I be more efficient with what I have so that I can fight harder for longer?
0: How possible is it for a smaller nuclear reactor for fobs to run everything.
1: well have you seen that that's one of the things they are working on right now with darpa
0: is that is it yeah, they, yeah
1: they're trying to look for these uh micro reactors to potentially use those to supply Holy uh shit. foreign bases yeah and so wow. and and making them uh portable and deployable so that would be interesting to see where they get with all that but right. you know when it comes to uh refueling something over like people say oh you can't take a gas can well actually the technology is starting to become there where there is portable electric power like batteries uh, suitcases I think one of them is a uh, spark charge uh, you can go google it just Google electric uh, Jerry can and you'll see there are companies out there that are starting to make this capacity and one of the things I've been talking about autonomous logistics is if wow, I
0: that's awesome
1: if I make a UAV, it has got a battery with DC fast charging and I can fly it out and, you know, recharge an electric Hummer in 20 to 25 minutes. Yeah. Obviously not in a, a, a hot contact situation.
0: But just period.
1: But, you know, yeah. the thing is, is there's things out there like the argument. like, oh, for all the charging stations in downtown Mogadishu. well, I don't need Mogadishu. If I was fighting a war right now with the U.S. military in Los Angeles... I wouldn't be using the California power grid. I'd be using my own power anyway. So we're going to bring it with us. We just have to find ways to make that uh, storage capacity uh, more portable. And as we're seeing advances in battery technology and, you know, people can get batteries hooked onto their house to store an entire, you know, be able to operate three to five days an entire house right why can't I find a way to take that same storage battery slap it on the bottom of a autonomous vehicle and roll it all and in out into
0: a battlefield and that and guy... autonomously run an entire aircraft carrier like you would not need to any extra fuel if you're just running everything could could the could the nuclear reactor take support a bunch of autonomous tractors and yes absolutely it, it's that power it's that good oh yeah Oh
1: good. Well, oh, there's sick amounts of power in in our so especially our newer on?
0: reactors. What are they waiting on? How is that not a no-brainer? How is that not like just the easiest thought ever?
1: Well, you got to get the technology the right to work the right way. Um, I've been on a lot of smart ships and mm-hmm. a lot of that smart stuff just doesn't work. Uh, necessarily okay. like okay. it'll work in a building okay. and in a lab okay you go wrap it in a hundred tons of steel and put it in a saltwater environment that's trying to destroy everything it touches mm-hmm. things don't work the same way
0: gotcha commander knickerbocker thank you sir what's, what's the name of your story buddy all right
1: so this is something that i have said throughout my life and especially my career so the title stood out to me Seemed like a good idea at the time.
0: <laughs> That's
1: often answered my wife when she just asked me why. What
0: the fuck, Mike?
1: <laughs> so it began as a normal event at the DZ, but by the end it had become gig moment.
0: Uh, no shit that I was thought
1: I was gonna die moment. Oh, okay, that's yeah, where no this all shit comes in. I see, was, I was die. after trying to make you look stupid over the course of this podcast, I <laughs> can't figure out an acronym. Uh, there you go. And I'm in the business of acronyms and jargon. One of our better pilots, Jim Fly W. Wilkins, was goofing around before he landed. So Jerry Ryan and I decided to challenge him by holding a wind streamer stretched between us. And you remember those things? We wanted to see if he would swoop and cut it with the propeller. He saw us and took the challenge. Then he was about 200 feet away. I started to have second thoughts. Those yellow streamers were only about 12 to 15 feet long, and that C182, or was it a 206, started looking really big. Jim never wavered. He flew right at it and cut it just fine. The prop did not bother me so much, but I forgot the wheels stuck out pretty far. That got my attention about .03 seconds before Jim cut the streamer. It's amazing how short your life seems as it flashes before your eyes when you are young and dumb. From Tim Long.
0: Yeah, Tim Long was one of the guys that put the book together. Commander, thank you very much. Well, thank you, Boz, for having me. Hey, you've given my guests a lot to think about. I mean. Or get about halfway through
1: this and like, I don't know what this is. No, Next one, it. let's no, let's hear it. the
0: guy talk about ghosts. I, uh, <laughs> he listened to Bubba. <laughs> that was a good show. Huh? I know. it was fucking haunted. Did you guys know that? No, because when I daydream autonomy and, and drones and electric warfare, it's always the fighting. But the more efficient way is to do the backup. And that that's just super intelligent. It takes guys like you, man. So what I would say, though, is I'm not doing any of this in
1: an official capacity. And, and that's the thing that like a lot of my friends and family don't wrap their head around is Right now I'm doing a lot of independent research because I have the free academic freedom to think of other things and propose them. And I'm doing that by writing op-eds and commentaries for different outlets. And so what I'm doing is not necessarily through official channels or, or directly involved program with my job, but I'm putting stuff out into the public forum for to support discussions or to start what I think are necessary discussions. And that's something that I have found. Uh, extremely gratifying because I I feel that I'm having an impact that I wouldn't otherwise and so I encourage people if you really feel serious about something doesn't have to be the military is where are you reading your news? what's their submission policy and just go out and write four months ago I had 13 rejections and couldn't get anything published and honestly thought I wasn't cut out for this and then in the last five weeks, I've been published four times, including two nationwide, large-scale publications, and it's just a matter of going through the process, believing in yourself, and then just doing your research, backing it up with good thought, and getting it out into the world. And if one person rejects you—so my article in The Hill that was kind of like my big break was rejected uh, by a different publication. I sent it to The Washington Post on Monday. They said, thank you. doesn't fit with what we're doing, and so I didn't change it. I didn't waver. I just went and submitted to someone else because I believed in the piece. Mm-hmm. And uh, it got published within 24 hours. So I, I know it was mind-blowing. I know people have been trying for a long time to get into the Hill and were like, what? You got in there in one day? Yeah. And I wrote well, the article on the previous Friday and was published on Wednesday.
0: Well, good for you, man. No, it's just, it's a different take. It's the smarter take at this. It's the less, like I was saying, romantic. Man. What role does Tesla have in any of this? Do you know? Does Elon have any? I know. We're, I'm so- I would love
1: to have <laughs> coffee with him sometime and talk about it. I know right. there was uh, a while ago a, a tactical vehicle from Tesla. Uh-huh. Um, you know, Canoe, who's up in Justin, Texas, uh, they just got a oh contract my, my boy,
0: to. Canoe. I don't know who the fuck oh, that is. Oh, C A
1: N O O canoe. Okay. Okay. They're an electric vehicle company. Kind of, kind of silly looking, different looking. But uh, they actually just scored the contract to build uh, an all electric uh, Mars rover for the upcoming manned mission to the moon.
0: Texas company. Not Mars rover, moon rover. Moon rover. We have a buddy that's working on the Artemis project at NASA. He's ex Air Force intelligence, and I'm, I'm, I'm I, Jimmy is going to be on the show soon. You, have to man. listen to it. We got to get out of here, yo. Wazzy Circus Radio, check us out. We got a big move coming soon. Check out the suits. Check out the website. We got trips coming up. I'm still going to pull Cozumel off. God damn it this year. If not, fuck next year. We're still doing Costa Rica. I don't know what's going on, man. Made some jumps with Cecily today. She just got back from a camp in El Paso. She's head down now. Adrian's head down. Shit's going down. Y'all need to learn how to fly. Hit me up, WazzyCircus.com. Baby. Thanks, Mike. My pleasure. Give me some, baby. Yeah.